0: This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. This is a story from the life of Bud Moore. It is neither glorious nor spun out, but it is heroic because he and so many others answered the call of duty to their country and to humankind during World War II. Long before being enshrined in the NASCAR Hall of Fame, Bud was a teenager storming Utah Beach in the early morning hours of D-Day. From there, he fought his way across the continent until V-E Day, the end of World War II in Europe. The spring and early summer of 1943 was a momentous time for Bud Moore. He graduated high school, turned 18, and just a few days later received a message from Uncle Sam. It was not a belated birthday card.
1: I got drafted, and uh, I turned 18 years old on the 25th day of May, 1943, and I got my draft papers on June the 1st. <laughs> so they took me down. Happy was, birthday. <laughs> they took me down the... Fort Jackson, you know, to be inducted in. Uh, I wanted to go into the Navy because uh, Eubanks and Cotton was older in the Navy. And uh, so I went over and talked to the Navy guy. And the first thing he asked me, he said, have you got a college education? I said, how can I have a college education? I just got out of high school a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and uh, back then, you know, they only ran, went 11th, 11th grades, So we only had 11 grades. And we had just, really? okay. just finished high school. And, uh So, like I say, uh, the school was over on June the 2nd, I believe it was, and I got my draft papers on June the 1st.
0: Bud wasn't able to join fellow NASCAR pioneers and South Carolina natives, Cotton Owens and Joe Eubanks in the Navy, and he turned down the chance to join another branch of the military. It is here that I could give you the straight facts of Bud's service in the Army, but to hear him name his division and regiment and battalion on down to his company, his is the voice of history.
1: It was it's something, you know, and uh, going having to go into the Army and do what it did. And I finally told them, they said, well, you'd make a good Marine. I said, no, just put me in the regular Army. And that's what they did. And I was in the infantry. And I was in the 90th Infantry Division in the 359th Infantry Regiment. And... Uh, I was in D Company, 1st Battalion, in heavy weapons company, they call it. We had water-cooled machine guns and 81-millimeter mortars.
0: Bud did not experience combat until almost exactly a year after receiving his draft notice. When he did, it was on D-Day, June 6th, 1944. It was the largest sea, air, and land assault ever. With thousands upon thousands of personnel, ships, landing craft, aircraft, tanks, and vehicles taking part, it turned the tide of the war and world history. This was a deal, you know, it,
1: uh, with all the training we went through and all this, and uh, knowing all the stuff that I went through in World War II, and uh, especially, you know, uh, Hitting the beach on June the 6th, 5 o'clock in the morning, one of the first waves going in. Our regiment was attached to the 4th Infantry Division, which made the assault, and we all went in at the same time. And uh, our other two regiments, the 357 and 358, didn't come in until D plus 6.
0: Bud left off a landing craft into the waters off Utah Beach, the westernmost of five major attack points that day. He was delivered straight, into the gaping maw of hell. Going in there on that day, and
1: like I got drowned that day because the Navy guy driving the landing craft, he didn't drive all the way in where we were supposed to be in knee-deep water, and we wound up was in water about over our head. And, and I got off, I had a 51-pound tripod on my back, and also my backpack and all this. and I stepped in a shell hole and trying to get get out of that water and. Went under and I like to got drowned. Finally, I did get out of there and I just headed straight across the beach, got on the other side, and I sat down behind the sand dune still trying to get the water, spitting up the water and everything, get where I could breathe. And it it, 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 it made just turn, you know, 19 years old and all this. And I, said, I couldn't believe what was happening with all the guys and getting hurt and people, you know, and all this and what was going
0: on. By the end of that day, more than 23,000 American soldiers had landed at Utah Beach and Bud Moore was one of the first 197 were killed one young man was near Bud when he received a direct hit Bud would tell reporter Jim McLaren years later he just disappeared I was so scared I didn't know what to do Bud somehow managed to overcome that fear and received the first of two bronze stars for his actions that day. He was nicked by shrapnel several times over the next several months, and the truth be known, he hoped for a little downtime as a result. It didn't happen, and for nearly nine full months, he found himself on the front lines without so much as a single day's break. It's just, uh,
1: you know, with all the stuff we went through and uh, getting wounded five times that I did. I wasn't completely wounded where I didn't report back to the front lines. I got shrapnel wounds and all this stuff. And they, what was so amazing, they <laughs> send you back to the aid station. I'd be laying, you'd get in my foxhole and uh, they'd have an bust over, you know. And yeah. then we finally decided what was going on. We'd, I'd dig my foxhole and then I'd dig back underneath and put the, get about a foot of dirt on top of me so I, really? I could roll up underneath it. And But still, you know, when you're out in the field and you're advancing and all this stuff, shells land and you get splattered with, with shrapnel. It was so amazing. <laughs> they send you back to the aid station. We get back there and they would pick the shrapnel out of you and do this and and uh, they painted it with my thigh, lady, that old red-looking stuff, and uh, put a Band-Aid on send you right back to the front line. I think, maybe I said, well, at least may be back out for a day, but that didn't work.
0: <laughs> when the 101st Airborne found itself surrounded in Bastogne, Belgium, that winter, during the Battle of the Bulge, Bud headed there with elements of General George S. Patton's 3rd Army. Bud actually encountered the famous general on a handful of occasions. I
1: saw General Patton at least three or four, three times I know on the front lines. And uh, the biggest thing, you know, about going to Bastogne and uh, the, when they had the 101st Airborne all surrounding up by Romeo and all that, and kicking the daylights out of them. And Patton, we just made the Moselle River crossing, and Patton pulled us back, our division back across the mo- back, and we was in this little town. And uh, Patton was standing on the courthouse step with a big microphone, and he, he briefed us said, now, I know you boys ain't had a hot meal or anything on this part, and you, you've been doing this and doing that. And he says, We got a bad situation. We got it 90 miles away, and uh, Romeo's got the 101st surrounded up there in Bastone. He says, We got to go up there and get them out. And uh, he says, We got to leave. He said, We're going to leave in 45 minutes. We're
0: going to kill every SOB on the way.
1: And <laughs> we did.
0: The second of Bud Moore's two bronze stars came about as the result of basically being in the wrong place at the right time during the Battle of the Bulge.
1: Yeah, we uh, we jumped off on the attack, and uh, the lieutenant, he was going on one way, and um, he said, Moore, I think it'd be safe y'all take this Jeep and go around in, and he showed me on the map, and I had the map looking at it. So we got up on top of this hill, and uh, there's a house down at the bottom of the hill, and I seen a German soldier running it, so I had a water-cooled machine gun mounted on the dash of that Jeep. I started firing on the windows and everything in that house, and one German soldier run out the backside, and I seen him go one way, and this other come out with his hands up. So we captured him, and we had him sitting on the front of the Jeep going back and uh we went on top of the hill and we supposed to made a right hand turn but we didn't we kept going straight <laughs> and that oops that was it <laughs> we went down there maybe another three or four hundred yards and we run into this block building there and we've seen a couple of german soldiers run in and out of it so i fired up i fired machine gun at them and know, around the windows and everything else and finally <coughs> they uh the soldier we had captured, uh, the jeep driver, he could talk a little bit of German and this and that. And we told him go up there and get them out of there. If they don't come out, we're gonna bring some artillery in there and just blow that building down. And finally, uh, we sent the, the soldier we had up there. We captured him there to get them. Finally, here they come back out, and, and I never seen like I don't know how many enlisted men there were, and had five German officers. And, I think a total is about 21, 22. I don't know if remember now exactly, but here yeah, they all come out of there, and I couldn't believe it. So what was, so, what was, what was funny was the fact that we lined them up two and two, and we, we knew we done took the wrong road, so we go back and we finally got on the right road going back over. Did you have to ask them for directions? No. <laughs> we we found, uh, after I knew where we'd, after we'd done, done it, we didn't make the right turn, so we turned and went back the right way. They had already took this little town ahead of us, you know. <laughs> so that building I fired on the first one, set it on fire, and it was burning. And uh, finally when we got back over there and the lieutenant, my lieutenant said, "Mo, what in the hell was going on over there? I said, you sent us in a bunch of hell over there. I said, you see what we had right here, you know? <laughs> he couldn't see we had all these German soldiers and had all these officers and everything. And uh, he said, well, that's what all that racket was going on over? I said, yep, that's what it was. (laughs) It was just me. (laughs) Just me. Yep, me and the Jeep driver. It was something.
0: More than five decades later, Bud Moore had an instant recall for dates and specific details. He got his draft papers on June first, 1943. He was in D company of the 1st Battalion, of the 359th Infantry Regiment, of the 90th Infantry Division. And then there was this, the date of his most serious injury and his return to action.
1: Only other time I got wounded real bad uh, was with his machine gun. I got shot through the right hip. That was on February 22nd, 1945, and... I was out. Of, I was out of service until I reported back to my company on April the first, and then uh, what's so amazing? My lieutenant, which I, I was an instrument on COM, and uh, they had promoted him being a first gunner. I went to lay in all the gun positions and all for the powerful machine gun squads and all this. And we pulled up in this German hospital yard and. Just pulled up there, and the Germans had it zeroed in. They started shelling at their own hospital, you know, and all this, and they blowed that jeep about out of or <laughs> so. Me and the lieutenant, we had to go back to the, they sent us back. We had to go back to the hospital again. And we got back there, and uh, I hadn't been back in, in the, in the, on the line, but about two days when all this happened. And anyway, they picked the shrapnel out of me and him both, and put them Band-Aids on, sent us right back again. Our jeep driver got a little bit hurt, a little bit worse, so. They had to sort of operate on him to get one piece out of his stomach, I think it was. But anyway, he survived and all this.
0: Later that same month, on April 30th, 1945, Adolf Hitler committed suicide in his bunker in Berlin, Germany, as American and Russian forces closed in. In the early morning hours of May 7th, the unconditional surrender of German forces was signed the war in Europe was over. Well,
1: you know, when the Germans, when we were going across the, when we crossed the Rhine River, going up into Germany and all, and had the Germans so disorganized and they started giving up and all this stuff. We, we knew the war was, was over, partially and all this. And uh, like I say, we kept going and we never stopped. and. Uh, we hit a few hot pockets for the Germans still, you know. And once they seen that uh, they had no choice, and they gave up and uh, all of this. And I mean, it was a happy feeling for all the American soldiers to know that we done won the war and all this. And like I say, we met the Russians uh, right out of Pilsen, Czechoslovakia. We were twelve miles out of Pilsen. We met the Russians. We shook hands and all with the Russian soldiers and all this. And then that was on May the second or May the third, and. Uh, 1945, and uh, the thing was, uh, word come down that uh, the war was over the 88. So that was one of the biggest thrill that uh, most all the soldiers had, and we did some celebrating, I'll tell you that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there is simply no way to fully describe the smile that spread across Bud's face as he mentioned the celebration. It was not one of victory. It was not one that was excited to share the story. It was not one of mere bravado. It was one of sheer relief. It made it. Several months later, Bud Moore boarded the USS Excelsior troop transport to begin the long journey home. He never returned to Europe. You know, the people have asked me several times, you know, says,
1: uh, why hadn't you gone? Have you ever gone back over there since the war? And I said, no. So said, why is that? I said, well, I left too many friends of mine over there and all this. And I said, when the 50th year anniversary came around, Union Oil offered to send me and my wife over there and have somebody in a limousine pick us up and start down at Utah Beach and go all the way across Europe just about. We went, because when the war was over, I was 12 miles out of Pilsen, Czechoslovakia. And uh, so I told them, I said, no... I, I, I don't want to go back over there. And they says, why is that? I says, well, I just feel like it, I wouldn't know what was happening, wouldn't know the towns or anything else, because all then we'd blow it off the map. I wouldn't know what, what they were looking like now anyway. Yeah. And I said, I don't think that that'll work. And I said, the biggest thing, when I left for coming home in 1945, I got on that on the USS Accelter, was a boat coming back to from back to the United States and I when I walked on that game plane I looked up to the Lord and I said Lord if you just get me back these 5,000 miles I gotta go and get me back home I promise you one thing I won't be back and I ain't never went back.
0: Bud Moore started tinkering with race cars not long after he returned to the United States and his native South Carolina. Ten different drivers, including five NASCAR Hall of Famers, won a total of 63 races for Bud Moore Engineering. For years, Bud dealt with what would today be known as post-traumatic stress syndrome because war is hell. I just feel like, you know, I might have enjoyed going
1: back and my wife probably would have enjoyed going over there, but. Like I told her, I said, you know how many nightmares I had before, after the war and all this stuff and how much you used to wake me up and beat on me and do everything else. And I said, I just didn't feel like if I went back over, I might start all that again. So that's another reason I didn't want to go back. And, uh, you know, war is war and war is hell. I'll put it that way. And for a lot of people don't realize it and just how bad it can be.
0: My name is Rick Houston, and it has been my honor to share Bud Moore's story with you. On Veterans Day and every day, we honor those who have served our country. Glorious Racing Stories is a production of Dirty Mo Media, hosted by me rick houston this show is produced by andrew curland executive producers mike davis and jason schultz special thanks to leah vaughn artwork is by sean sin check out dirty mo media on youtube twitter facebook and instagram dirty mo dirty mo